Good morning. Welcome to Bethel. You guys can have a seat. Hope you guys have had a great week. We're so glad that you guys all found your way here this morning. And if you're new with us, we're just welcome. We're so glad to have you. We would love to connect with you. And the easiest way to do that is to fill out a form. And that's at mybethel.cc connect. And there's just a place there to give us your information. If you're in the house with us on the seat back in front of you, there's a QR code. Or you can just go to the website. There's a few changes. Have you guys noticed? A few things look different up here, right? Um, but you can still go to that website, and we would love to connect with you this week. So welcome. No changes. To, we've been looking at Galatians, if you have or if you haven't been here. And Paul's been talking to the church in Galatia just about the problems that they have. Good thing we don't have any problems, right? No problems here. But Paul is talking to them just about different things uh, that come up. Last week we talked about the problem of religion. And this week we're talking about the problem of change. So we're going to be looking at that. And there's a few things, even just with our boards. Things coming. Things are changing. I don't know what they're doing. I have nothing to do with it. It's not my fault. Um, but has anybody had any changes happen this year? I've had just a couple, right? We've had a few. I, I told Ray, life is like, I got ready in 15 minutes today. Like, I got up late, and I'm just like, hey, this, you know, like, no blow dryer, no curling iron, no, it was so, I don't know, I may, I may just keep with this, I don't know, but, so, um, so we're so glad you guys are here today, and your hair looks great, I'm looking at all of you, and I'm envious, and you look beautiful, and uh, so today we're going to be digging back into Galatians, and we're going to be looking at what Paul has to say about the problem of change, so let's get started. Real quick overview, um, Galatians is a book written to the churches in Asia Minor. He is dealing with some issues. What, what happens over time in the church, and this is any church, this is any family, this is any organization, we, we tend to shift. We can, tend to kind of drift away from the original calling or the original mission. And so a lot of businesses, a lot of families kind of have a family uh, purpose statement or a mission statement to kind of keep them in line. Bethel's is very simple. It's that we exist to love and lead one another to find and follow Jesus. That's what we do. That's all we do. We don't do anything else. It's that we exist to love and lead one another. So it's a back and forth thing to find Jesus and to follow Jesus. And if, if you're here for any amount of time, you'll hear this repeated over and over again because it is what keeps us moving forward. Every decision we make is filtered through that vision, the vision of Jesus. Well, the church in Galatia had experienced the transformation of Jesus, had experienced new life in Jesus, and then the church in Galatia began to hear from other religious leaders and were adding additional things to the gospel, to the good news. We're adding additional requirements. So they were external requirements, but the church in Galatia was believing these extra requirements, and Paul was like, what in the world? We got to get you back to the basics of Jesus. And so it, it, things happen today. And if we look in our culture, there's a lot of cultural expectation, expectations, not only outside the church, but also in the church. So, so if you know anybody that's from, the, from Asia or from the, the Middle East, you'll have some cultural differences when you go to their house. You'll most likely take your shoes off when you go in the door. If you've ever visited somebody here in the United States that's from another culture, you walk in the door and you look around and you're like, if they're barefoot or they have socks on, you're like, oops, I better take my shoes off. This was very common in Costa Rica where you go into a house 
and you'd actually ask permission to go through the house. And even to this day, it feels weird for me to go to someone's house, and they say, come on in, and I'm just like, I just walk right in. You actually have this expectation in Costa Rica to say, with your permission, con permiso, you say, can I come in? And then they say yes or no. Most, most of the time they say yes. Uh, but there's this cultural expectation of asking for permission. If you've ever been around a, a Latino person here in the United States or even out of the country, when you walk into the room, if you're the one walking into the room, the expectation is that you would go around and actually greet every single person in the room. Whether there's 10 people or 100 people, the responsibility of the person coming in the room is to greet everyone in the room personally. Well, here in the United States, we don't. We're just like waving across this thing, and if they don't see me, who cares? And then we kind of hide in the corner, right? Well, that's not the way it is in Latin America. There's these cultural things. Well, handshaking, that's a very common thing in the United States. Now, COVID kind of stopped it for a while, but we can't help it. We get back to it, right, of, of shaking people's hands. Um, there's other cultures that bow. There's uh, cultures or there's Christian culture that you pray before a meal. There's also opening doors or smiling for pictures. Every culture has a different expectation and every culture has a set of unwritten rules that people just learn based on being in the culture. Well, the thing about church and the thing about Christianity is there's a whole list of unwritten expectations that people impose on outsiders when they come in and they're trying to follow Jesus. Now, here in America, here in Yukon specifically, we have the benefit or maybe the curse that we live in an age where there's a church on every single corner. And so this Sunday, if you're like, I'm at Bethel, I'm like, these guys are weird. I don't know if I like this place. You can go across town and you can go to almost every corner and pick a different one. And you can go and you can try it and be like, yeah, those are weird too. And then you'll go and you'll just keep going. And then you'll find that the common denominator is you. You're the weirdo. And so that's why you don't fit in, right? Okay, no. You didn't come to church to be offended or maybe you did. I don't know. <clears throat> we can all find a place to fit in. Our style, our preferences, our beliefs. And in Paul's day, the difference was there was one church, just one. They didn't say, you know, first church of this town or anything like that. It was just the church at Galatia, the church at Jerusalem, the church at Antioch, the church at Greece. And it's like there was one church in every community. And, and just kind of as, a, as, a, as an inside look into Bethel, Bethel doesn't believe that we're the only church in Yukon. We are part of the church. We're part of one church, Yukon. And there's a bunch of different meeting places, and there's a bunch of different um, locations, uh, Sunday school classes, if you, will, if you will. Really, if you elevate Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, we are with you. We're on the same page. So we're not trying to fight, and we're not trying to divide, and we're not trying to say we, are, we have the corner of the market on Christianity. We actually believe that God is doing something far greater than we could ever imagine. And he works through people, and he works through individuals, and he works through families, he works through communities. And in Yukon, there's a community of believers that are phenomenal. This is a great community in, in this area of the OKC metro area. So what are some of the things that we can see today that people have added to what it means to be a Christian? Like, what are some of the things? Just go through your mind and kind of list them out in your head. So if you're a Christian, quote-unquote, we'll use that term loosely, um, what are some of the things that people add to what it means to be a Christian? Now, today it's not so much, but when I was a kid, it was the way you dressed. There was a specific expectation. If you went to church, um, suit, tie, maybe ladies with dresses, um, no hats. Man, if you wore a hat, you were just going straight to hell. I don't know what the deal is with that. But not anymore. Now you can come in with shorts, flip-flops, look like you're going to the beach. We're as far from the beach as possible here in Yukon, but there's people that look like they're going to the beach sometimes coming to church. Um, what about musical differences? There's like these expectations in culture, especially Christian culture, that you don't listen to certain music. When I was a kid, there was a lot of talk about you'll know a person by going in their car and turning on their car and hearing what kind of music comes out of the radio, like what channels defaulted. Now, 
I'm not going to go look at your car. Don't come look at mine, all right? Um, because I have a wide variety of musical interests. Maybe you do too. When I was a kid, you couldn't go to the movies. Anybody else have that experience? You weren't supposed to go to the movies? All right, we've got one brave soul up here that raised their hand. Um, what about praying before meals in public? That's like an expectation that we've put on Christians. Like if you're at a restaurant and you don't pray, oh, they must not be Christians. How many of you honestly, if you're in church, don't lie, sometimes you don't pray before a meal? I got my hand up too, so, ooh, okay, so you guys are all heathens, right? You're in good company right here. All right. What about some extra things like speaking in tongues? Have you heard that? That if you don't speak in tongues, you're not a Christian. What about baptism? If you're not baptized, you're not a Christian. What about the Lord's Supper? If you don't participate in the Lord's Supper, you're not a Christian. If you don't go to church, if you don't read your Bible, if you don't pray, you're definitely not a Christian. So there's a lot of expectations. There's a lot of extra things that, that are put on following Jesus. Now, I'm not saying these are bad things, so don't, don't misunderstand me. It's that when we add expectations to what it means to follow Jesus, when we add expectations to proof that we're in, that's when we're getting into trouble. We can only be sure, if we have this mindset, that someone's following Jesus by adding external signals. We tell ourselves that no one could possibly be a Christian if they ignore the cultural unwritten norms that are in Christianity. And Paul was fighting against that. Because Paul said, no, it's in Christ alone and faith alone. It's through him alone. There's nothing else. It's not adding anything else. So, so why is change a problem? We came in today, and it was unsettling. I looked up here, and I was like, man, that's a small screen. Like, it's just a little strip up top. That's weird. Um, as, the, as this progresses today, you'll see some other changes that are taking place. And as we're building towards Easter, we're kind of shifting some things and trying to adapt in order to be um, more creative. And that that's unsettling. That gets kind of weird because we get used to what we're used to, and when someone changes it, it kind of like disrupts us a little bit. Um, we like change when it's at Chick-fil-A because the more they change, the better it gets, right? Now, I'm not a Christian chicken kind of guy. I really don't like it, but my family likes it, and so they want to go, and they get more efficient and more efficient and more efficient. I'm like, dang, this is good. Now, we like that change, but we went to Hawaiian Bros the other day, and we were telling you about the Dole Whips. They changed already. They changed it from strawberry to raspberry. Christy about had a heart attack. <laughs> and she almost picketed. She almost stood in front and said, my cancer needs strawberry. And so it was like a big deal, right? Because it was a small change that just affected her in a deep way. We don't like change. So why do we not like changes is because our assumptions are challenged when we're called to shift. When we're called to change, the assumptions that we have are challenged, and most of us resist the change. I want to read through the passage. We're going to read the first eight verses of chapter two. I want to read through it, and then we're going to go back through and kind of talk about it um, as long as time permits, all right? Let's go to verse one of chapter two. It says, then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas, and Titus came along too. So remember last week, we talked that it was a, uh, three years later after he met Jesus, he went to Jerusalem. Well, then he left for 14 years, and he came back 14 years later, okay? Many times we read Scripture, and this is the danger of reading Scripture and having it in our hands, is one verse to the next, we just jump on. And sometimes long times go between each verse. Sometimes decades, sometimes centuries, between simple verses. And we put in our minds, oh, this is a quick progression. No, it's 14 years later in this case, he went back to Jerusalem. It says there, verse 2, I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running a race for nothing. And they supported me. 
and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. Verse 4, even though the question came up only because some so-called believers there, false ones really, who were secretly brought in, they sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom we have in Christ. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations, but we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. Verse 6, and the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. By the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me, for God has no favorites. Instead, they saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. For the same God who worked through Peter as the apostle to the Jews also worked through me as the apostle to the Gentiles. Before we jump in too far, there's some uh, real quick clarification that I want to give on this idea that they were talking about, specifically on the idea of circumcision. So this is the little PG-13 section, okay? So if there's little kids in here, just kind of plug there just for a second. Um, and my dad, I, I got to just kind of throw my dad under the bus just for a second. Next service is the bilingual service. And so we're doing like a bilingual, I'm going to speak in Spanish, he's going to speak in English. And my dad today, this is a change, it's really uncomfortable for him, he's going to utter words in English that he's never uttered because we're going to talk about circumcision. Now, he might have in Spanish for years in Costa Rica, but in English, he never has. So if you want to see someone get real uncomfortable, come to the second service, all right? Okay. So PG-13, just for a second, circumcision. This is simply this. It's a definition. I'm going to read the definition. Circumcision is a surgical removal of the skin covering the tip of male genitals. This is a cultural separation from the rest of the world at that time. All right, you can unplug yours. Here's the thing. The reason that I'm bringing it up, it is in Scripture over and over and over again, and you're like, what in the world? What's the big deal about this? Well, in that day, it was a big deal, and if you read into the history of it, I was always wondering when I was a kid, how do they know who was circumcised or not? I mean, it's not like you like, have a, a door check, but I guess there was a door check um, at, the, at the time. Thank goodness we don't practice that anymore, but there was a door check. So this practice is common today in the West, and specifically with, with boys in the United States and some Western countries, typically done almost the day after they're born in the hospital. Well, the Jewish tradition was eight days after a male uh, baby was born, they would perform the rites of circumcision. And this simply was a separation from the rest of the culture. This is something God had established in the Old Testament. You can go back to Genesis. You can read about this with Abraham. And this is something specific that God had marked the Jewish people as a separate entity. And this practice of circumcision seems scary, as a sign of unity and fellowship. And among the Jewish people, that was the case. Well, here's what was happening is they began to push this expectation over to non-Jews that were becoming followers of Jesus. Now, as we read through this portion of Scripture, we need to understand the cultural reality of that day. Not all Jews were Christians, but all Christians needed to become Jews. This was the expectation, okay? So it's a Jewish um, hybrid religion, so they have the old Jewish promises of God. They have Jesus, the Savior, that has come to establish a new uh, belief, a new spiritual life, awakened life, resurrected life. And every non-Jew that became a Christian was expected to become a Jew. Now imagine the weight of, of responsibility from someone that grew up completely different. All of a sudden, your diet changed, the way you look changed, the way you dress changed. Even physically, things had to change I don't think that would go over very well because that's not even what God is asking anybody to do. So here's my question for today for us to think about when we think about the problem of change. Can we truly be a multi-ethnic church? Can Bethel Community Church in Yukon, Oklahoma, West OKC, can we become a multi-ethnic church? 
Can we become a multilingual or a multilanguage church? Is this possible? Can we all be unified, one, under Jesus? Why is it so hard to change? Why is it so hard to do something different? Especially when it comes to our spirituality. Because as soon as someone puts something else in the path, it gets really, really uncomfortable. So in worship, this happens all the time. Changes. There's differences. Some of you raise your hands in worship. Some of you don't. Some of you like judge people that raise their hands. And some of you judge people that don't. Sometimes the lights on, no lights, hymns, contemporary music, maybe no music at all, maybe the projector. You remember those old retro projectors? Like if you were in church a long time, they had these old like, like plastic papers that you'd put over. And if you didn't learn just right, you'd go right and it would go left on the screen. You're like, ah, and you'd have to learn how to navigate that. Anybody ever do that? Oh, that was fun. Now we can bring that back if you guys want. Uh, that's terrible. What about Bible versions? This becomes a big topic of conversation in churches. Like which Bible version is the right one? Actually, the right one is the original one in Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. I mean, we're in trouble. So we're dealing with the best possible translation that we have for today. What about service style? Contemporary or, or, or um, conservative? Maybe how you do the Lord's Supper? Who baptizes who? How long should the gatherings be? What kind of food should we have? What kind of diet? How, how long should your hair be? How short should your hair be? Women and men. All of these external things, all these external beliefs have a way of infiltrating the heart of people, and we end up tying our relationship with Jesus based on these external practices. So on the one hand, when Jesus invades our hearts, it's hard not to change. It's hard not to be different. When Jesus, the, the master, the creator of the universe, actually invades your heart, it, something happens. But on the other hand, all of us can hide behind these external actions and inside be rotting miserably because I've conformed on the outside. And Paul is confronting that very same thing. In Galatians chapter 2, there in verse 1, it says, Then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. Now, Barnabas is the one that went with him to start the churches. Titus was actually a Greek believer, someone that had converted to Christianity, and he, had a, he was a Greek descent, so he was not circumcised. It says, I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. So he didn't go because someone called him. He didn't go because he felt obligated to. God actually set him aside and said, you need to go to Jerusalem because I have a reason for you to go. He goes, while I was there, I met privately. So he didn't do this publicly. He didn't make a big scene in front of the whole world. He didn't get on social media and tweet about Peter and, and James. He actually went privately with them. And he said, hey, I want to make sure that we're preaching the same thing because I've been telling all these churches in Asia Minor that our mother church is back in Jerusalem where the church started. And if you are not preaching the same thing, I don't think we can get along. He, he wasn't trying to divide. He wasn't trying to separate. He was trying to make sure that he actually was not wasting his time elevating the church in Jerusalem. It says right here, I wanted to make sure we were in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted. And so here's what Paul was doing as he was running this race, and you see his language of running the race over and over again. And verse 3, it says, they supported me. They supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised. Here, here's the, you need to put yourself in the situation and the mindset of a Jewish person waiting for the Messiah waiting for the Christ, waiting for the one that was going to come and set things right. And when he came, he didn't free them uh, politically. He didn't free them physically. He came to set up his kingdom in their heart. And so these Jewish people were kind of unsettled because all their faith and trust were in these things they did. And then Jesus came and fulfilled everything. 
And he said, you don't have to do those things anymore. Imagine how unsettling that was. And I bet you the first couple centuries, the Jewish people really had a big problem letting go of confidence in their actions and putting full and total trust in Jesus. Now, we as non-Jews, it's easier for us just to accept Jesus. He paid for my, my sins, and I can put my faith and trust in him and him alone. I don't have to worry about all this other stuff. And yet over time, our tendency is actually to cling to the external thing. So imagine the turmoil and stress of this time. Jesus changed the very way the Jewish people were to live and to treat each other. And the friction was so great that many of the Jewish people could not handle the change. They couldn't handle it. So Paul had been working to establish these churches in three different missionary journeys. He began to hear of some discrepancies that were happening from the church in Jerusalem and the church out in Asia Minor, and he wanted to make sure that they were in agreement. So 14 years later, he went. God sent him on the mission. So here's the thing. They supported me. In the ESV and the KJV uh, Bible translations, it actually says they extended the right hand of fellowship. And what this means is they were in complete unity with the teachings of Paul. They had no questions. They simply said, yes, it's in Christ alone. They agreed that a Gentile was a Gentile and had no need to go under the knife. And all of us went, right? Now, if you're an American-born Western male, you probably are circumcised. We don't have a door check, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. In Costa Rica, it's very rare to find anybody that's circumcised. Not that I would even know. It's that when you're a teenager and you have these things about the Bible, you're like, oh, circumcision, I've circumcised. All your friends freak out because they can't even imagine it, okay? Now, you guys are like, this is weird. I thought you weren't supposed to say this stuff in church. Well, you know, it's in the Bible. Verse 4, even that question came up only because some so-called believers there, false ones really, who were secretly brought in. They sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom we had in Christ. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations, but we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. Here's the hard truth, and this is in Yukon, Oklahoma. This is really, really tough because not everybody that claims to be a Christian is a Christian. Not everybody that grew up in a Christian home is a Christian. Not everybody that says brother or sister actually is part of the family of God. And that's a really hard thing to swallow because what we end up doing is assuming that other people that use Christian words are actually believers. But it's real easy to come up with Christian words. It's real easy to, to play the part. And actually, many of us did in our upbringing. We played the part. We answered the right questions. We responded the correct way. But inside, we were as lost as could be. When Jesus comes in, he radically changes us to something different. And there's the, what Paul is trying to describe here is the difference between rules and freedom. They're completely different. Two different approaches. The, the more specific a rule is, the easier it is for me to hit the mark. So the ever-moving mark of legalism, though, so legalism has this thing about it where it'll set up some rules, and then once you achieve them, it'll move the target over here. And then once you achieve those, it'll move the target again, and it'll move the target again, harder and harder and harder to accomplish the rules. Well, freedom is the exact opposite. Freedom says you have freedom to choose, and actually your freedom is out of gratitude for simply being acknowledged and rescued by the Savior. The good news leads to cultural freedom, and a moralistic religion tends to press people into rules and regulations. And this is what we see Paul confronting here. Now, if your salvation depends, Pastor Ruben and I have discussions all the time about this. If your salvation depends on obeying rules, then you want to make sure you understand the rules. And if someone lays out the rules for you and you can meet them, then you're good. 
But as soon as some joker comes around and changes the rules on you, man, your whole experience gets really unsettled. Rules means you're in control. Freedom means I just got to trust. It's different. There's rules like don't drink, don't smoke, don't go to the movies, don't do this or that. And we can actually force ourselves to meet those standards. But freedom says love your neighbor as yourself. This is the highest standard with endless implications. You will never meet that one. You'll never make it. Because loving my neighbor as myself, that's a huge undertaking. And no one has a prescription on how you should do it and how you can go about winning when it comes to loving your neighbor. Now, Paul here is trying to bring cultural freedom and emotional freedom. Cultural freedom in that the norms of society are liberated through Jesus. The emotional freedom is that I'm free because I can trust him that he paid it all. And when I serve him, it's not out of duty or obligation. It's out of gratitude for what he did for me. So unless your motive for obeying God's grace, sorry, God's law is grace and gratitude for the gospel, you're a slave. There's a fine line between me serving God because I want to get something from God and serving God out of simple gratitude for what he's done for me. Now, all you got to do is go serve in the nursery a couple weeks, changing dirty diapers, and you're like, okay, God, when is this over? Can I move on? Have I done my time? But there's some people that over there love it because they know they're changing the diaper of future church leaders. They're changing the diapers of future humans that are going to be around this community making a difference. And so the calling and the gratitude has a lot to do with it. Um, we're running out of time. Dang it. Julie, I need more time. No, I'm just kidding. Just leave, leave the time alone. Um... Julie asked me if I needed more time today, and I said, no, we're going to stick to it. When we hear something about someone, most of us tend to believe it and just accept it. Paul didn't do that. Paul actually traveled to Jerusalem, and he met with the leaders because he had heard something, and he wanted to confirm it from their lips and come to find out it wasn't even true. We should trust people's reputation, trust their words, not the words of others, because the source matters. These intruders that had gone to the church in Asia Minor were that. They were imposters. At Bethel, it's really simple. It's really, really simple. Our agreement is Jesus. It's not lifestyle choices. Our agreement is Jesus. It's not theological points. Our agreement is Jesus. It's not preferences. Our agreement is Jesus, not denominational affiliation. Our agreement is Jesus and nothing else. We exist to love and lead one another to find and follow Jesus. This is cross-cultural. This is cross-every building. This is cross-affiliation. This is more than preference, looks, gender, ethnicity, language, and community. Jesus is the center of everything, and that's why we can all get along, even though we have had wildly different experiences, wildly different church experiences, wildly different cultural experiences. We can get along because there's only one thing that unifies us, and that's Jesus and him alone. That's the one thing we can agree on. You know, in this room today, there's Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, and everything in between, and you're like, goodness, yes. Guess what? There's some people here in this room that are blended in their families, and there's some that have been married for 50 years. You know, there's some people here that have gone through incredible uh, heartache of divorce and difficulty with children through suicide and loss of loved ones. We've all experienced so many different things, and the one thing that unifies us is Jesus, nothing else. That's our one agreement because we can come together and we can fellowship because of him. Look what it says, verse 6. It says, And the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. By the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me, for God has no favorites. A lot of us put leadership on a pedestal. 
We put pastors and teachers and prophets and priests on this pedestal, and what Paul is clearly saying is God has no favorites. It doesn't matter. What matters is what Jesus is doing in your heart. It says, instead, they saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching to the gospel of the Gentiles, just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. For the same God who worked through Peter as the apostle to the Jews also worked through me as the apostle to the Gentiles. So he was assured that what he was doing with the Gentiles was correct. All he was doing is simply adapting culture to meet the needs of the people he was speaking to. I've had the privilege, along with my parents, to serve in many different cultures, the Latin culture, of course, in Central America. We've worked with indigenous people in Central America that have a wildly different culture. I've been in Africa, and I've served in Africa in a different culture there. In the city or in the jungle, it's all different. So if you go in into the jungle where there's mud huts and you pull up technology and you're wanting to show people a presentation, you've missed out the cultural experience. You can pick up a rock or you can pick up a piece of fruit or you can look at an animal and you can use that illustration completely different in a jungle than in the city. And, and, And the gospel doesn't change because Jesus frees people from wherever they are, in whatever situation they are. If they're serving the sun, the moon, the stars, and that's what they're worshiping, Jesus can free them from that religious experience. But here in the States as well, if we're pursuing the American dream and pursuing money and pursuing fame and fortune and our lives are wrecked, Jesus can rescue us from that as well. The context is different, but Jesus is the same. It's adapting the message to the culture. But here's what adapting is not. Adapting is not changing the gospel. You know the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is a bloody mess? It's horrific. It's incredibly, it's got a lot of carnage. The Savior was beaten and bruised, stripped, and whipped and bled to death. That's not going to change. Because he did that to take on your sin and mine. You know what we're not going to change either is the miracles that happen. Miracles happen over and over again in Scripture. A guy rose from the dead. That's a pretty big deal. And we're not going to sugarcoat it. You know what we're also not going to sugarcoat or adapt is sin. All of us deal with it. It's the original problem of humanity. It's falling short of the glory of God. It's actually not meeting his glorious standard, and yet he's not asking you or me to do anything about it. He paid everything. It's the only God in the universe that paid it all and doesn't expect anything in return. He did the work. Every other God expects you to do the work. The exclusivity of Jesus is one of the most offensive things in the world because Jesus claims to be the one and only way to God, not one of many. So adapting is not saying, well, you know, you guys worship the moon, and that's a way to God, and this is also a way to God. No, it's actually Jesus is exclusive, and that offends most people. He's the same God. He's not changed. The mission that Jesus started continues no matter what or who the group is coming in to hijack it. Our mission still is to love and lead one another. We need to remind it every day of the good news with one another. And here's what we will not do at Bethel Community Church. This is what we will not do. We will not be a stopgap in culture. We are not the arbiters or the referees of culture. We're not going to stand up and protest when things are going wrong in legislation and government because that's not our job. That's not the mission that God set us to do here at Bethel Community Church. What he set us to do is to love and lead one another and share the good news of Jesus. So we're not going to be a stopgap for culture. We're not going to be scorekeepers. We're not going to be police or private investigators to pull out tickets when people step out of line. But we will be a medical rehab center for broken, hurt, wounded, weary, seeking, lost, doubters, sinners, 
people that have experienced resurrection, religious and hypocrites alike, Pharisees. We'll walk with anyone through any situation. We'll champion the work of Jesus, and we'll slow walk with people towards healing, and that takes a lifetime. We're going to get messy, and we'll get into trouble with people, and we'll get into trouble for loving those around us to a fault. We will humble ourselves with the doubts of faith of people around us. There's a band that released a song a few years back. It's called Just Give Me Jesus. There's nothing I desire that I can't, that can't be found in you. You're everything that I've ever needed. Just give me Jesus. That's our anthem at Bethel. Just give me Jesus. So here's some questions to leave you with this morning. Have there ever been times in your life where you began to think that your performance counts towards your salvation? Paul's here to discredit that. Scripture's here to discredit that. He says it's in Christ alone. So what caused you to think that? So what are some of the nice and proper attitudes that your culture and upbringing has taught you, and how have you added that into the belief of being a Christian and expecting others to be the same? And do you ever feel guilty or insecure for your relationship with God, in your relationship with God, and what might be telling you about how, what might this be telling you about how you view your acceptance with the Father? And last one, how do you handle change? Especially when it questions your religious practices. Someone can ask you a question, and once it heats you up and gets you upset, you're like, I can't believe they didn't do that, or I can't believe they don't believe that. Do you tend to think through the implications or simply reject the change outright? Paul really is what he's saying, is get back to the basics of Jesus. That's it. Him and nothing else. Let's pray. Not this morning as we think about Paul and his message to the church in Galatia, and even to us 2,000 years later, um, wow, we fall into the same temptations and traps. God, this morning as we're reflecting on his writing and how his approval is from God and no one else and his commitment to Jesus and nothing else, it seems simplistic and yet it's so overwhelming because it means we need to be patient and humble God, that we need to trust that you're the changer, we're not. This morning, God, I pray that if there's anyone that's far from you, that your spirit would stir in their hearts and draw them to yourself. And that today they could put their full trust and confidence in you and not be distracted or sidetracked by anything else. They can cling on to you and find a community to fit into and, and walk with one another. Jesus, we love you for who you are and for what you've done for us. We humbly, humbly, humbly submit and believe in you. We know it's in Christ alone. Before we finish this morning, we're going to sing a couple songs and worship together. And, and may these words kind of wash over your spirit and over your heart. Uh, the first song is Christ is Enough. No matter what else you've been clinging to, Christ is enough. He's sufficient to take away your burdens, and to free you. And then we're going to sing about the goodness of God. I don't know what your experience has been this year, uh, but I've been overwhelmed by the goodness of God. In the midst of sickness and difficulty and stress and anxiety, just the, the way God's goodness has just washed over my family, it's been amazing. So let's all stand together. We're going to worship together. Christ is enough in the goodness of God.